All right, take two. Hi, everybody. You're listening to Angel Nears. Angel Nears is a Silicon Valley community that puts startup builders and experienced operators together so they can share key insights on how to build and scale startups. I'm your host, Oleg Kujikov, and our guest today is Kalen Hardell, a co-founder and the CEO at SegMed. Uh, SegMed is a secure cloud-based platform that provides high-quality data for medical AI development. Today, uh, we're talking with Kalen about how providing medical AI developers with access to diverse real-world data will advance healthcare outcomes. But before we get into that, Kaylin, uh, welcome to the show. And my first question has to be, can you hear me? I can definitely hear you. I think we've we've established that so far today. We've done one thing right. Uh, thank you so much for having me, Oleg. I'm, I'm super excited to be here. Excited to, to talk to you. Um, yeah, the joke there is we've done this intro a few times, but hopefully the, the third time here is the charm. So uh, let's get into it. Kaylin, I'd kind of like to, to, to get to know a little bit more about you. So um, yeah, introduce yourself. Tell us, uh, tell us where you're from and maybe what did you study? Absolutely. So my name is Kaylin. I'm CEO at SegMed, um, as Oleg has covered. I'm originally from San Jose, California. I grew up in Silicon Valley. My dad worked for Apple. I actually grew up in Almaden, if you're familiar with the Bay. I went to school for undergrad in Miami, Florida, and then back for grad school at Stanford. In Miami, I studied exercise physiology, actually, with the aim of going to medical school, which obviously didn't happen. But during my sophomore and junior years at Miami, I interned in the Apple health tech department. And it was there that I really fell in love with health tech and in particular with medical data and just the power that it has to transform healthcare in the next decades. And so uh, kind of spun out of Miami with that exercise physiology degree and decided to, some, to study something a little bit more quantitative. Um, so I did my master's in bioengineering at Stanford. Well, that's really cool. Yeah, we, we actually record the show, or at least today we're recording the show from Los Gatos, California. So uh, South Bay, we're very much south, very much in the South Bay, kind of know uh, where Almaden is. What did you do between school and uh, starting SegMed? What's your kind of work experience? I, I mean, you already mentioned Apple, but is there anything uh, else worth mentioning? Yeah. So uh, at Stanford, I actually took a little bit of time off to work at Verily Life Sciences a couple of times. So I worked there for one summer in their clinical department, um, helping to do human subject research, um, which was kind of similar to what I was doing at Apple. And it was here that I learned a lot about things like FDA approvals and running clinical trials, like the kind of very rigorous set of documentation that you need to go through um, when you're working with medical devices. And the second time that I went back, I actually went back for a bit longer. I took some time off of my graduate studies um, to be an associate product manager at Verily. And I was working in the hardware department. And that was a really great experience because I got exposed to everything from small feasibility trials for, you know, just ideations of various things that might be possible with hardware, all the way up through large partnered projects. Um, so the biggest project that I was working on with a bunch of other PMs was a, a product that was spanning a cloud solution, a mobile app, a hardware component, uh, and stitching all of those together into an ecosystem. So let's just get a taste of what SegMed is. I don't, I don't want to dive into it because uh, we will do that later in the interview, but can you give us like the elevator pitch? Absolutely. Um, so 
At SegMed, what we're doing is fundamentally changing the way that healthcare innovation happens. Uh, and so what we're building is a development ecosystem where companies can access everything that they need for medical AI development in particular, all in the same place. Um, so this means that they have everything from the data that they need for training and testing, even telling if something will work, to tools for labeling, things like development environment, uh, and support for things that you get further down the line, like FDA validation trials, and even eventually market deployment. And can you unpack, like when we're talking about medical AI, yeah, what are we talking about there? Yeah, so medical AI is actually a, a hugely rich and broad field, which makes it a really exciting space to be operating in. We've done the most work with diagnostic startups, actually, or, you know, companies that are developing algorithms that will do things like helping to detect breast cancer on a mammogram or helping to, you know, detect lung nodules on a chest CT. There's a bunch of these algorithms that came out last year um, for helping with COVID detection. But medical AI can also expand to things like drug discovery or looking for new drug candidates or helping to tell which patients might be good candidates for clinical trials. Uh, it really depends on the type of data that you're looking at. And I guess the sky's the limit. So we'll talk about what uh, I have questions about the data because that's kind of such an interesting facet of this, but um, medical AI, that's really big. So let's, let's talk about something big and broad. What's the mission at SegMed? What's the company kind of trying to accomplish? Yeah, so our mission is actually twofold. The first is to make health innovation easier and more effective. I'm not sure if you're aware, you probably are, you know, operating in the investment space, but there have been billions of dollars dumped into healthcare innovation in the last decade. Uh, in fact, 2021 saw about $44 billion dumped into the digital health space. And that's more than 2020 and 2019 combined. So it's really exponentially growing. There's been thousands of digital health companies, literally thousands, that have been created in the space over the last few years. But in contrast to that, you know, those huge numbers, there have only been 343 algorithms approved by the FDA for use by patients and clinicians total in history. Uh, and so there's a massive gap right now between, you know, having an idea and putting a ton of money into trying to making that happen and, you know, what's actually making it out the door at the end of the day to help individuals and help doctors. Um, so what I mean by making it easier and more effective is closing that gap kind of closing the circle to make sure that all of these resources are actually, at the end of the day, going out to make a difference. The, the second part of our mission is to make healthcare research and healthcare innovation more representative in terms of whose data is actually going into these solutions that will define 21st century healthcare. In 2020, there was a paper published by Stanford that found that 71% of algorithms that had been approved by the FDA through that time had used data from only three states throughout the phases of training, testing, and validation. Uh, and that's just, <laughs> I think it's a failing of the system because how can you expect something that has only taken in data from three states, California, New York, and Massachusetts were the states, by the way, like that is, that's not representative of everyone in the U.S. And eventually, you know, the mission is to be including everybody in the world. Great. 
Follow-up question, like what makes getting something FDA approved so difficult? We probably need a separate podcast for that question, but I'm just curious to ask. Yeah, absolutely. Um, It's a lot of different things. It's a pretty arduous process. So there are lots of different types of approvals that you can seek when you are trying to get something through the FDA. And the type of approval that you seek depends on things like the risk to patients and the type of solutions that you're offering. So it can be something like like a new blood pressure drug. And you'd probably be seeking the type of approval that's built on you know, what has historically been done in the space. But if you have a completely new solution that's, you know, there's no precursor, then you need to be seeking kind of like a, a more rigorous standard of approval. And companies usually outsource this process to organizations called clinical research organizations that help them put together a trial and collect and analyze all the data that they need to submit to the FDA for approval. Within this space, there are nuances as well. So you can have prospective clinical trials where you're actually performing an experiment and you know, giving a drug to patients, for example. This is what was done with like the COVID vaccine to make sure that it was safe and effective. Or, and this is especially done with like digital solutions, you can have a retrospective clinical trial where you're using data that's already been collected from patients and you are comparing, you know, expert opinions about that data to the output that your algorithm has. And so this, I think, is an area that's really ripe for innovation because it's extremely repetitive and there's opportunity for a lot of automations and efficiencies within the space as compared with, you know, actually giving drugs to people, um, which of course, you know, will will cost more, it'll take more time. And, you know, you can only do so much. At the end of the day, you have to be actually giving the people those, you know, drugs and seeing what happens. Let's dive into the data. Medical AI, we kind of said it's this this big area. It has the potential to do lots of things, right? We can improve the quality of patient care with better better data, better more AI. Quality of care can improve. It can also reduce costs associated with delivering that care. It's also kind of foundational when it comes to growing uh, predictive medicine or preventative medicine. I think you mentioned, uh, you know, diagnostics. Um, that's that falls right in there. For now, let's talk and focus on the mining and managing of medical data with AI. Because of all those reasons that we mentioned, you know, healthcare is widely considered to be this like next big data frontier for for taming. It generates lots of data. But unless data is kind of standardized, labeled, curated, it's not very useful. How can we make sure that the data that we're generating is, I guess, actually useful and usable? Yeah, absolutely. I think, firstly, like just so your listeners understand the magnitude of this problem, 30% of the world's data that's being generated every day is health data. Uh, so if you think about like all of the iPhones, like all of the cars, all like the infrastructure of the world, uh, like every single thing that's producing data in the world, 30% of it is health data. And so this problem is only becoming magnified with time. So we really kind of have obviously dove really deep into the health data space in the last three years since we founded SegMed. And honestly, most of that time has gone into figuring out how to tell what type of data you have. Um, so by that, I mean, you know, 
we have set up the infrastructure to build a searchable database and an engine to search through this data so that our customers can find exactly the type of data that they're looking for. And previously, all of this had to be done by hand for algorithm developers or mostly by hand. Um, so as an example, um, AI algorithm, like putting together a data set for an AI algorithm includes probably 20 to 30 different requirements on that data set. And so this is everything from, you know, the distribution of the data, like which parts of the world or which parts of the U.S. is it coming from, the demographics of patients, like trying to make sure that it's gender balanced, age balanced, the types of machines. Uh, you know, you can't only build your algorithm working for Philips machines or GE machines. You need to have a good distribution across everything if you want this to be deployed in clinic. Uh, and then there are innumerable technical requirements, things like slice thickness, if you're looking at medical images or reconstruction kernels that all need to be diverse as well. And so a ton of RIP has come from being able to standardize this data, even when it's coming from disparate locations, um, noisy labeling it using our own algorithms um, and using things like computer vision and NLP to actually tell what's there and be able to make that searchable and discoverable um, for our customers. Another area is research design. Um, for making sure that data is actually useful. This is an area where experts on our team have you know, spent their days thinking about what goes into a good representative data set or research study um, so that you're making sure your data set is actually set up to prove the right thing, um, especially for things like FTA validation. And because of our experience in this space, we've recently been in the pretty cool position where we've been able to start making recommendations to our customers on this behalf. And so an example of this might be, uh, are you collecting data consecutively um, or are you collecting your data set randomly? Like both of those choices have different implications on what you're able to claim about the algorithm that you're assessing. And so you mentioned users who does use this? Who's, who's kind of the primary user of this data? And you mentioned doing all this by hand. Like, can you talk more about sourcing the data historically, like how, how that would have to be done in the past? Yeah, definitely. So as I mentioned, medical AI is a really broad market, which means that we have lots of different types of users, which is really fun um, because, you know, they all have, you know, slightly different needs, but they're connected by an arc, like an overarching user arc. So we work with companies ranging from diagnostic startups to large medical devices companies to life sciences companies. We've even worked with um, tech companies and surgical robotics companies, or even some 3D printing companies as well in the medical space. And the users of the data within these companies across the board are mostly data scientists, but the data touches other users as well. So we have like project and product managers who are making some decisions. Um, we also have all of the clinical experts who are mostly evaluating the data set to make sure that it meets all the requirements of the end users. And the way that these companies used to get this data before they could come to SegMed was by making partnerships with individual hospitals themselves. Um, and so I think you could probably extrapolate and see why there's a representation problem in the space, because making, you know, making one partnership with a hospital, we've heard from companies where just making one partnership to get one data set for one algorithm took 18 months. 
um, because it takes forever <laughs> to get through like legal and security and like figure out how to actually extract data from systems. Like honestly, what usually happened um, or what, yeah, what, what companies usually do and did is pay a doctor or a PhD student like a, a sum of money or by the hour to sit down and go through patients one by one uh, and assess if they met the requirements and could be inc included in the data set. And so you can imagine why this used to take 18 months. So one, one problem, one challenge we've already talked about is just amounts of data, right? There's so much data, getting it clean and usable is, is difficult. Another kind of ish problem, challenge in this industry is siloed data, right? You mentioned hospitals. Hospitals typically have their data stored in their place and it's not really going anywhere. Is there a good way to imagine all the data was up for grabs? Uh, you could access whatever you wanted, you know, and it was all protected um, as far as HIPAA is concerned and, and the FDA is concerned. Is there a good way to kind of take those data silos, break them down and, and connect all of this data? Yeah, I think you're talking about the market of interoperability. <laughs> uh, so there's there's a whole market that exists in this sphere, and you know, tons of tons and tons and tons of people are trying to solve this problem. Like everything from putting in new data standards, which of course are very slow to be adopt adopted, um, to you know, trying to move everything to the cloud to like just inventing new technologies, like saying that like all, all of medicine should move to the blockchain. Uh, I, I think that might cause more problems than it, it currently would solve. Um, but, but lots of people are thinking about this. Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, some progress is being made, like it has to be made in order for progress to happen and solutions to actually make it back to patients. Um, so some things like using hashing for de-identification, which can is like it, it makes it possible to connect data from different sources. Um, that's one thing that I think has been big uh, in the last couple of decades. And with each one of these solutions, you have to think about the risks as well. So if you're able to connect data from different sources, what are you doing to make sure you're preserving the privacy and security of those patients? Like, I think we all remember kind of the Google University of Chicago debacle um, from last year, a couple years ago, where, you know, they were getting data from University of Chicago and, you know, people kind of figured out that, oh, like Google also has this other source of information, like coming from patient cell phone records, so that even though the data is de-identified, they'd actually be able to, you know, connect it back and maybe figure out who those individuals are. So as we're breaking down these silos, we have to be quite intentional about it. Uh, I think this is also an area where we can talk about point solutions versus integrated solutions. Actually, one thing we've done at SAGMED has been very intentional about controlling the data infrastructure as well as the data platform, um, because we do want to be able to have a level of vertical integration so that we are not just another point solution on the marketplace, that all these people within these you know, life sciences, medical devices, tech companies are having to manage themselves. So kind of on that, along those lines of, uh, you know, patient privacy, are there any best practices to ensure, and I had a hard time even at, even saying, you know, all data should be open and, and connected because I, I know that's kind of a thing that's hanging over. 
any conversation about medical data, patient privacy and data security are not just important, but protected by, uh, you know, legislation. You don't want to run into a HIPAA violation. So what's kind of the best practice to ensure from your perspective that like patient data is private and secure? Um, Are there any best practices? Yeah, I think the first one has to be foolproof de-identification above and beyond what the law requires, whether it's, you know, HIPAA in the U.S. or GDPR uh, or, you know, other laws in other places. You know, we go so far as to remove things like doctor and nurses names, like facility names, like even though we're allowed to include, you know, geographic areas above a zip code, we're really intentional by only supplying our customers with like a region of the U.S. um, just to reduce the risk that, having this piece of information, you know, could lead back to any individual. Um, We're also implementing things like outlier detection within our data sets. With every one of these choices, there, like, we also have to think through the impacts of what that does to the data set. Um, Like, for example, a good example of this is uh, scrambling the faces of head CTs, like patients that get head CTs. Um, this is something that's sometimes done in industry, but the algorithm developers, you know, they're going to be running their algorithms on data from real patients in hospitals that won't have their faces scrambled. Um, and so there needs, like, you have to consider a lot of different things with every piece of information that you choose to include or choose to exclude. Besides the identification, another thing that you should be aware of are you know, to what extent do you allow your data sets to be connected with data sets from different sources? So like we just talked about with the Google and University of Chicago example, um, this can be risky. And so one thing that we try and do is, you know, make sure that we know exactly what our data is going to be used for, um, put legal protections in place for what our customers are allowed to combine it with to try and reduce this risk. Um, but overall, I really think that, The best thing that you can do in this space is data control. Um, So controlling to what extent you let people preview and see your data, uh, making sure you have really tight control over the export of data and where it's allowed to go. And as much visibility as you can have into that process, I think translates into higher levels of data security and ultimately an increase in patient privacy protections. Now it's the time of the show. We want to really dive into segment, get a sense of you know your company, what 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 it's doing. Tell us how it got started. What's the origin story and maybe the insight that that led you to starting segment? Yeah, so I met my co-founders uh, almost exactly three years ago while we were doing an entrepreneurship program at Stanford um, called Stanford Ignite. It's put on through the Graduate School of Business there, and. Segment actually started out as a project (laughs) for this class. I'm not sure how often that actually happens in the real world, but but it happened for us. And so all four of us had actually chosen to work on a project within the medical AI space. So we kind of like, it wasn't just like assigned to us. We all chose to work on this topic together. And we were originally looking in the space of kind of annotations for medical AI. And by the end of the 10-week program, we we had really realized a few things. Number one was that 
medical AI, just the market as a whole was super exciting to us. You know, I think all four of us really understood the potential in the space, even three years ago, which felt a lot different than it feels now, like with $44 billion. (laughs) As an example, like RSNA is the biggest radiology conference in the world. And 2019 was the first year that they had a dedicated AI space for like radiology AI solutions. But, you know, we also went last year and the AI space had made it up onto the main floor. uh, And there was hundreds and hundreds of companies that were present. And I feel like every talk was about AI medicine uh, and, you know, the potential impact and like what are deployment solutions and just, you know, every aspect that can be analyzed. So it's just part of the mainstream conversation. And I think that we're starting, you know, at the beginning of seeing, you know, real outcomes as opposed to just hype, because of course, like the AI space has been overhyped as well. But another area that has completely shifted are the hospital's attitudes towards medical AI. Um, Three years ago, it was way harder to go and pitch like in a chain of outpatient clinics or a hospital and tell them what we were doing, because it just wasn't as much part of the mainstream. And now we've actually started to get inbound um, hospitals who tell us like, hey, I'm, I'm trying to put together a data strategy for my institution. What can you tell me about the space? I'm curious about kind of how you, how the team initially formed. Did you all kind of have, what roles did you all take? And then building the team since then, how has that gone? Yeah, absolutely. So It was a class project, but it was a class project kind of, you know, actually my co-founder Martin had like submitted it as an idea to the class. So it's not as though we were just assigned, (laughs) you know, this, this as a topic we had to come up with, like, we had to do a ton of research and come up with exactly what we wanted to do within the space, which has of course evolved over the last three years. But, you know, there is a little, I guess, traditional origin story because my co-founder, Martin, who is an MD-PhD and junior faculty at Stanford, he had actually spent the preceding couple of years, I think it was three years, trying to put together a research data set um, for his research at Stanford. And... Like I told you, the timeline on average to put together a data set for medical AI development is 18 months. (laughs) But let me tell you, like Martin is about to leave his position at Stanford to join the SegMed team full time. And he actually just completed this study. Like it took them about five years to build a data set. And it, it was only a data, like granted, it was a rare condition, but it was it was only a data set of about 300 patients. But anyway, uh, (laughs) there's four of us on the team and Martin brought the idea, but the the rest of us loved it uh, and and obviously sunk our teeth in very much over the course of the program. So like I said, my background is in product. Um, My CTO, Adam, is originally from Poland. He has his master's in computer engineering. He also has about a decade of experience working as a senior software engineer at companies like Salesforce and Xilinx, um, and he's published or he has been approved for about 10 patents ranging from like UI UX all the way through infrastructure. 
So he's, you know, just deeply technical on the team and has a ton of software experience. Last but not least, my co-founder Jay is originally from China. He has his PhD from Stanford in AI and machine learning and a little bit of industry experience working at Facebook. And so he brings uh, the data science and AI engineer point of view to the team. And then, of course, there's Martin, who brings the clinical perspective as a radiologist and researcher. So, you know, as we were going through this program, not only did we realize that we all loved the space, but... I think we all kind of could feel that we got very lucky with the complementary abilities within this team. And we we didn't really feel like we were ever going to have this chance again. So we were all kind of in a position to take the leap. And I I think that we are all super happy <laughs> that we ended up doing it. <laughs> yeah, you can only, uh, only hope. Uh, curious, with a team like that, who was the person to jump on uh, the first sales call? So Adam and I, you know, CEO, CTO, actually joined full-time first. And Jay was finishing up his PhD at the time. He's since joined full-time. And Martin is actually just about to join the team full-time. And so especially for the first year, like 2019 to 2020, like beginning of 2020, it was mainly Adam and I that were doing, you know, the first sales. And honestly, the first thing we had to do was convince somebody to give us their data. And <laughs> I think we were all like so skeptical that we'd even be able to do that, but we managed to do it and kind of build up the flywheel from there. Why is the timing right now for your company? Yeah, I think that it, you're right. There is something in the air, <laughs> especially like, like obviously AI has been super hyped, but like if you think about where we are right now in human history and what the next hundred years could look like for us, like it's absolutely mind boggling. <laughs> like we are on the precipice of exponential growth, like not only in medical AI, but across, you know, every area of the human existence. And like I kind of said at the beginning, you know, there's been a ton, there's been a ton of hype. There's been a ton of resources dumped into the medical AI space, but there are barriers that exist that are preventing all of these innovative solutions from getting into the hands of patients and doctors and, you know, other individuals just for their personal use. And, you know, because of where SegMed has sat as the market has evolved over the last three years, I do believe that we're in a really unique place to address the barriers that we have been able to kind of see clearly over and over for every one of our customers and remove them um, so that we can unlock the exponential growth that is inevitable in the space. Who do you compete against? Is it like big players like IBM and Google or, or are there other startups doing this? Yeah, um, it is a mix. So we are a little bit more vertically integrated than most of the competition. But of course, you know, especially with a big market like this, there are all sorts of followers kind of ranging from very large, um, like hospital kind of conglomerates like Truveta, which was announced last year, to, you know, existing healthcare software companies like Epic, which has a ton of EHR data. Of course, like... All the cloud players are also involved with healthcare tools um, and other startups that are trying to, I guess, do data brokering more than anything else as well. 
But because we are experienced, because we were one of the first movers in the space, I do think that we have a pretty big advantage, not only a technical advantage, you know, putting together all of our data pipelines, our products, which we launched last year, um, but also with relationships and with knowledge that we've accumulated just by, you know, like being chest deep, (laughs) I guess, in the medical AI market over the last three years that are going to allow us to build a product that's stickier and, you know, more widely adopted than everybody else. Next, let's take a look under the hood and maybe any important choices you had to make early on uh, when you're kind of developing um, the first iterations of SegMed. Absolutely. So our tech stack crosses a bunch of different things um, because we are, you know, trying to control the data sphere (laughs) within health data. And so what that means is that we've had to build solutions for everything from integrating with healthcare IT systems to, you know, being able to work with their data centers on-prem to, you know, building de-identification and standardization algorithms to exporting the data into the segment cloud And then, of course, building a self-serve data platform, SegMed Insight, which is our product, where our customers can come and search and filter through millions of de-identified patients to build and label the data sets that they need for development. Um, So you can imagine that that, you know, it, it uses a lot of different technologies for sure. But, you know, I think the biggest choice that we needed to make early on was that we did want to control each piece of the like everything that I just talked about. So now that we actually are in control of, you know, connecting to health systems, de-identifying and standardizing the data, searching across the data, labeling the data and providing it to our customers. Now, as we're building on that foundation, which is super solid and honestly, like those are the biggest risks to us as a business was, were we going to be able to do that? I think we're very privileged to be sitting in a place where, you know, there's still a lot of open question marks, but for the most part, we've been able to prove that we can. And so looking forward at the product roadmap, now we get to start having some fun, like build versus buy considerations (laughs) for adding like new algorithm deployments to our platform, for adding new tools, for working with the data, um, for partnering with folks that do deployments or clinical studies. The data access is so key because it's it's what gets the customers onto the platform. It's what we absolutely needed to control. Um, so that was definitely, I think, the most important product choice that we made over the last three years. Are there any other kind of key milestones that you've achieved along the journey so far? I think you've been a company for we did have a ton of like super fun milestones last year that you know we try hard to celebrate because it's easy to just keep your nose to the grindstone. Of course, like number one, we launched a product like that's huge. Like we launched the first self-serve data platform in medicine. Also last year, we managed to achieve 10x revenue growth from 2020, including we're working with large Fortune 500 companies spanning you know, pharmaceutical companies, medical device companies, tech companies, surgical robotics companies. Last year, we also managed to surpass 500 locations in terms of data access, like places where we're pulling data from. And that does also span six continents worth of data. And lastly, of course, the SegMed team grew to 20 people 
So, you know, we, we've extended beyond just the four founders and definitely couldn't have made it this far without our team. We already kind of talked about customers. I don't know. Do you, do you have an example maybe of a, of a customer you might work closely with that is uh, really excited about what you're doing? Definitely. One of our first customers, and we actually have a case study about this uh, on the SegMed blog, but one of our first customers that we ever worked with was Aidance. Uh, and they are a diagnostic startup based out of Amsterdam, and they're offering a solution for lung cancer uh, screening. And we worked with them in 2020 and provided data for their, you know, FDA validation trial. You know, we worked with them on a bunch of different things, you know, filling out, you know, going through the motions of working on that trial with them. And actually just recently they did get approval uh, for that algorithm, which was really, really cool. Kind of, you know, actually taking a company from beginning to end um, throughout their development process. And, you know, what they have already been able to deploy in market, uh, you know, you can go, I think, on their website and see that they are already helping thousands of patients and thousands of radiologists do these types of readings, uh, which is really cool to see for us because, you know, that's what we're working towards at the end of the day. You mentioned, you know, you're, you're doing uh, more inbound these days, but uh, what's your primary way of reaching customers? Yeah. So one other thing that differentiates us in the space is that we are a product-led company, which I think is not typical in the, in the health data or even healthcare space at all. So we use a big combination of strategies to go to market. And we've done a ton of experimentation here as well. Uh, of course, we also have two sides of the marketplace, like you know, pitching to hospitals to get access to data and then pitching to customers um, to join the SegMed ecosystem. So we've done everything from ads to thought leadership. We actually have a webinar that everybody should go check out called Bites of Innovation. On the data partner side, we host quarterly ethics committees to talk about, you know, where is the line when you're using patient data? Like, what are we comfortable with? What are we not comfortable with? Really trying to be transparent and build up our brand to go along with the product-led strategy. We also do things, of course, like going to industry conferences like RSNA. How about any, uh, any partnerships that you're excited about? Nothing I can announce publicly yet besides just our hospital partnerships. You know, we have about 20 partnerships in place with, you know, hospitals of many different sizes, including large chains um, spanning like hundreds of locations. Um, so we've worked really hard to put those in place over the last three years. What's one thing about SegMed that makes you stand out from the crowd? I think... You know, team-wise, for people that want to join the SegMed team, I do think there are a few things. Number one, we are so mission-driven. Um, I think a lot of our existing team feels good that they get to work on a company and a product that's, you know, trying to make a difference in the world, trying to unlock barriers to healthcare innovation and, you know, have better representation in healthcare research, which you know, hopefully we'll end up having a pretty big impact on the world, you know, 10 to 20 years from now. And I think the culture of our team is also really, I can feel that it's really good. And our team members also, I think, are, are hopefully happy. We are a remote first company, um, but we do a ton of team building. Um, you know, some of our team members have come up with really innovative things, like a little, um, 
like social media platform that's specific to SegMed where, you know, we can all submit, you know, pictures of our food and pictures of our pets and, you know, answer questions to get to know each other a little bit better. And it does make coming together in person just really special when we get to do it. Of a team of 20, we do have 10 countries already represented on the team. So I'd say that diversity within the team is something that is unique as well. And I, I do think that overall, it makes us much more appreciative um, and, and listen more to our teammates because we know that we don't all come from the same background and experiences. So that you know fosters, hopefully, a culture of innovation and respect. And you're all from uh, from a school, so I'm sure there's a lot of learners learners mindset. Exactly, that's actually uh, one of our cultural tenets as well. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, learning mentality. Okay, last question, second to last question. I still have the surprise question. So, you know, as a founder, what are some challenges that might keep you up at night? What What are you like constantly thinking about as far as you know problems you're trying to solve? I think it changes depending on you know what what the current fire is. <laughs> I think one thing that's just maybe more existential that I think about is, you know, how much is too much in terms of what we're trying to do at any given time? Like how to make, how do we make sure that we are holding the priorities steady um, so that we can accomplish the things that we need to accomplish um, and not waste too much time doing things that are you know, over and above in every space. Like, how can we build a great product um, without getting too bogged down in the details, which of course also speaks to our ability to iterate and be agile because that's a huge advantage of being an early stage startup. Uh, well, Kaylin, you've been a, a wonderful interview, uh, interviewee, I guess is the word. My last question here is, is there anything important I didn't ask about medical AI and, and data? I think... Maybe like what what are the what maybe what are the most exciting opportunities for medical AI in the next couple of decades? I think there are numerous opportunities kind of within first world medicine for AI to do things like reduce costs and reduce errors um, for patients. Also, of course, things like personalized medicine, like you know your Apple Watch or your iPhone. Uh, you know, telemedicine, like getting delivered to patients just in their own homes, kind of closing, like closing the point solutions for healthcare and making, you know, health more continuous. But I think something that also doesn't get talked about enough are the opportunities for medical AI in developing countries as well. I'm not sure if this is still the case, but three years ago when we started SegMed, Adam's wife is actually from Zimbabwe. And so Adam was just randomly in Zimbabwe and he was talking to some doctors there. And there was some like extremely staggering statistic. Like there were only like, I think 50 or less than 50 radiologists for the entire country of Zimbabwe. And, you know, I'm sure that that has changed slightly now, three years later, but doing things like being able to, you know, deploy an algorithm that was, you know, being monetized in the U.S., but, you know, that suddenly opens up a, a pathway of care in countries where there are doctor shortages to elevate 
the care that they're able to receive too. So that's one of the reasons as well that we're so focused on building representative data sets, because we hope that by including data from all over the world, uh, it encourages the big companies like life sciences companies to innovate in those spaces as well and deploy their solutions there as well, um, instead of just kind of focusing where the money is. Let's get ready to go. Uh, what's the best way for listeners to maybe uh, reach you, learn more about SegMed, and watch or listen to Bytes of Innovation? Yeah, you can access all of that on our website, which is segmed.ai, or you can find me on LinkedIn or Twitter uh, at Kaylin Hurdell. All right. Awesome. Look for Kaylin there. Uh, we're going to end our show here. If you liked it, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Please leave us a rating. Uh, thank you, Kaylin, for joining the show today. It was, uh, it was a great interview, and we're excited to kind of follow and, and see where you go from here. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, 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 oh,